Let's open the Word of God to the book of Job, chapter 1. Job, chapter 1, about halfway in your Bible is the book of Psalms, and if you'll go back to the left, you'll find the book of Job. Job, chapter 1. And I trust you had a great afternoon. <clears throat> we had a good service this morning, good fellowship. And uh, trust your afternoon was good. Some of you maybe got a nap. And uh, now you're back for round two, right? Overtime. And uh, we're glad you're here. Job chapter one, if you found your place, would you stand with us for the reading of God's word? And we're going to have prayer and then we'll begin reading in verse one. We'll read down through verse eight. And tonight we'll see what God has for us here. Now, I know, I know Job has the experience that none of us want to sign up for. We don't want to repeat that, but I do hope we can glean tonight a little bit from his life and his character and what God has to say about this servant of the Lord, Job. And so let's pray together, and we'll begin reading there in verse 1. Father, how we love you tonight, how we thank you once again for the precious word of God and the wonderful things, Lord, that we find there to learn and grow and live the Christian life. And we do pray tonight, Lord, as we look at this man's life, as we look at the testimony written about Job, Lord, that you would help us, that you would speak to our hearts, that we might learn and grow, that we might find some things that we can use and put into practice as we live for you also. So we pray, dear Holy Spirit, that you'll be our teacher and guide through the scriptures tonight, that you'll impress upon our hearts those things that are needful, and uh, Lord, that you would lead us and guide us And show us what you'd have us do. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. All right, Job chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels, and five hundred yoke of oxen, and five hundred she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them. And rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Wow. I wonder if God was going to write a verse about us in the Bible, what would it say? Look at verse 8 again. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, 
This is what God said. There is none like him in the earth. A perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. And I want to preach with that thought in mind tonight. We'll just borrow what the Lord said about Job. And we'll title the message, Job, None Like Him. Thank you so much. You may be seated. As I read the, those words, that description of Job stood out to me and impressed my heart that God would say that about a man. You know, we can ascribe words like that certainly to the Lord Jesus, and we certainly could ascribe greater to our God. But for God to ascribe these words about a man is pretty impressive. It kind of makes us want to stop and take note. When you understand what the Bible says about mankind, about our heart, and about our, about our sinful condition, uh, we have to stop and notice what God said about Job. A perfect man, one that feared God and eschewed evil. This was a great description. God said to Satan, hey, check out Job. He said there's none like him. None like him. Pretty impressive. I began to think about what does the Bible say about men like this? Psalm 12 in chapter 1 says, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. Now, the psalmist was not saying that, that godly men are stopping, and he wasn't saying that they're unsuccessful. What he was saying is they're hard to find. The godly man ceaseth. You, you don't find many of those around anymore. He said the faithful fail uh, from among the children of men. In other words, where are the faithful? Can you find a faithful man, somebody that you can really trust through and through? Ezekiel had a similar expression. In chapter 2, verse 30, the Lord said in the book of Ezekiel, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me in the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found none. Can you imagine God looking down from heaven? I'm just looking for somebody I can use. I'm just looking for somebody that's godly and faithful. I'm just looking for one. And he said, I found none. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. These verses just amaze me. Where the, the Bible says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Wow, what a, what a thought. That God is just looking for an opportunity. God is just looking for a person who has what he calls or considers a perfect heart. The Bible says he's looking for that opportunity to show himself strong on behalf of that man, that woman. Wouldn't you like to be that one? Wouldn't you like to be that person that God said, you know, I think I want to just show out for that person right there. I think I just want to take up their cause. I think I just want to, I just want to come through for them in prayer and, and uh, do some things on their behalf. Well, you know, I'd like to be that kind of person, wouldn't you? Wouldn't it, be, uh, wouldn't it be interesting, wouldn't it be amazing, be shocking to us for God to say about us, here's a faithful person. God said that about Job. And uh, what, a, what a wonderful testimony for, for the man of God. What a wonderful testimony for Job that God would say that about him. So what does the Bible say? Verse 8 actually repeats verse 1. So let's go back to verse 1 and let's find out what was so praiseworthy 
What, what was so good about the life of Job that even God would take notice and say to Satan, Hey, have you considered my servant Job? The Bible says in verse 1, and I won't read the whole thing, but the, but the verse 1 says that Job was a man that was perfect. His name was Job, and he was a man who was perfect. Now think about that, perfect. Well, before God could write a verse like this about us, before he could bring our name up in conversation that you and I would have to measure up, we'd have to stand up next to Job here, and, and we'd have to put our character to the test. Now, now no, don't, under, don't misunderstand. The word perfect here doesn't mean flawless, because none of us are without flaw. The word perfect in verse 1 means whole or complete. When you look this word and study it out, uh, it actually, in the context of this passage, the word perfect here means morally complete. Morally complete. There are verses in the scriptures that tell us that, that the Bible furnishes the man of God, that he might be perfect, thoroughly furnished all good works. And that's the idea, that the word of God would furnish us. So listen here tonight, as we look at Job and we understand that God points out to us that Job was a perfect man, he was one that was morally complete. You and I may sit here looking at the mirror of the Word of God and we may see in our own hearts that, we have, that we're lacking in some areas. We may see in our life tonight that we, we're, we're not, uh, we don't fit the description of a Job here tonight, but you can. The Bible can furnish what you lack. God's word can make up the difference. If you'll spend time with God the way Job spent time with God, if you'll tune your heart to his praise like Job did, then tonight you can find yourself in this, in this category of Job. You can find yourself uh, morally complete. The Bible can fill in those areas where you lack. Isn't it amazing that Job loved God so much that he would offer up offerings for his children? And that's what he was doing. Job was going the, the, I don't even know if it would be the extra mile. Maybe it would be the tenth mile in his service to the Lord. Not only offering offerings for his own uh, worship of the Lord and sacrifices maybe for his own sins, but we find Job doing this for each and every one of his children. And he says in his heart, well, I need to do this because maybe they've sinned. He's covering all the bases. The Bible says that Job was morally complete. He was perfect. This has a reference to the, the values and the standards of Job. <clears throat> and let me just say tonight that you're not gonna, you won't become morally complete without getting in touch with God's values. You're not going to ever be what God says that Job was unless you set some standards for yourself. You know, it's always intrigued me when I hear business people say, we do it this way because we have standards. And everybody says, ooh, ah, oh, that's so great. That's so wonderful. Man, they're sharp. But when you come to church and somebody says, we do it this way because we have standards, all of a sudden we say, whoa, what's wrong with him? Man, they're a bunch of legalists over there. <laughs> really? You know, look, standards are just guidelines. And standards prepare us for excellence. And that's why people in business set standards. That's why people in military set expectations. That's why they require certain things. 
of those who are going to participate in that area, whether it's government, military, business, or whatever the case is. Why should it be any different for us? God has expectations, and the Bible does present values and set expectations. The Bible sets standards for God's people. And what does the Bible say? That we should bring the standard back to the people? No, no, but we should bring the people up to the standard. God help us. If we'll ever be like Job, upright in heart, perfect in character, morally complete, then we have to embrace the values of God and begin to set some standards of excellence for ourselves. You know, it may become legalism when somebody has to make you step up. But you know, really and truly, as we follow the Lord, that really should never happen. No one should have to make us do our best. No one should have to make us do what's right. No one should have to make us um, avoid the appearance of evil. Right? We should be more than willing to do all of that for ourselves. You know, if you set your own standard high, then you won't have to worry about the standards of others. And I found that to be true in my life in ministry. If, if you'll aim high and set your expectations there, you'll find you far exceed the standards of others and you won't have anybody trying to set the bar for you because yours is already higher than theirs. And that can be true, by the way, when you're an employee. Your employer's standards may not even be as high as yours. And you know you're making some progress when you see that happening. Amen? Well, that's good. Job was one of those kind of people. You didn't have to set the standard for him. Nobody had to make him do it. Here he was serving God out of a pure heart. He had standards of excellence. He was morally complete in his life. This is what God said about him. Now, if this is what a man had said about him, we, we, you know, well, we would say, well, that's what you see. But when God says that about someone, then you know that that's not just what somebody sees. That's what God knows to be true about this man. What a powerful testimony. But it doesn't stop there. The Bible says that not only was Job perfect, it says, and upright. Job was an upright man. What does that mean? Well, the word upright here, it means straight. And in our culture, I'll just leave that what it is. He was straight. And it also means equity. Equity, remember, from a few messages back, equity means the extra, right? When you have equity in your home, you have extra value. And, and so equity also means that, except in this case, it's equity of character. It refers to the character of the man. It, it, you know, we talked about uh, being a second-mile Christian, going beyond what's expected, doing better than what's required. This is what it's referring to here when it says Job is upright, that he has equity of character. He, 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 his personal standards go beyond what's expected. I think of the psalmist who said it like this. He said, I will praise thee, talking to God. He said, I will praise thee with uprightness of heart. What does that mean? He was basically saying, the psalmist was saying, I will praise God with my character. You can't do that unless your character is acceptable in the sight of God. It'd be like an offering. You present an offering to God, 
It's either the right kind of offering, like what Abel brought, or it's the wrong kind of offering, like Cain brought. And God accepted Abel's offering, but he did not accept Cain's offering. Why? Did God prefer Abel over Cain? Absolutely not. There was zero partiality in the decision. The problem was Cain brought the wrong type of offering. It was totally made of the wrong stuff. It represented the work of men's hands. Cain brought the best of his harvest. Abel didn't bring an offering that was made out of his effort and his work. Cain, or excuse me, Abel, Abel brought one of the lambs that fit the description of what God gave for a sacrifice. Abel brought the the sacrifice, the offering that God asked for. That's why his offering was accepted. Because God stated what he was looking for, what he expected, and Abel followed suit. Cain did not. Cain totally rejected God's instructions, and he brought what he thought would be valuable and good in the sight of God. But it was rejected. And you know, the same is true for us in our life. As we live for the Lord, as we worship our God, as we strive to be followers of Jesus Christ tonight, let us, let us be of the mindset of Abel, who said, I will follow God, and I will worship God, and I will rise to meet His standard, and not just set my own according to my reasoning and my comfort and my logic and my understanding. You know, if you study the Bible carefully, you understand that the mind of man is not in tune with the mind of God automatically. We have to make great effort to accept the word and the values of God for those two to be in tune together. Job is a man who spent time, enough time for that to happen, worshiping God and, and, and praising the Lord in his life. And Job, over time... He built a life, a character that was upright before God, and God saw that. You know, when I looked in 2 Peter, in that list of how to disciple people, and if you want to grow, Peter said, add these things to your faith. To your faith, add what? What was the next thing? Virtue. Virtue is character. It's exactly what we're talking about. First, we were talking about uh, Job's... um, Job's life and and, and the fact that he was morally complete. Now we're talking about the uprightness of his life. This is talking about his character, the fact that he doesn't cheat, the fact that he doesn't take shortcuts and cut corners. This is uprightness. That's what that's talking about. Job was a man like that who did a thorough job. That's what the psalmist said. When I'm going to praise you, Lord, I'm going to praise you with this. I'm going to praise you with valuable Stuff with, with the stuff that life is made out of. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's some kind of life that praises God itself. And that's what the psalmist said. I'm not just going to praise you with lips and songs and words. I'm going to praise you with the way I behave. Wow, that's so powerful. And isn't that what God wants? Isn't that what Samuel said to Saul when Saul brought those sheep back and he was supposed to annihilate everything? 
And Saul said, hey, we, we just kept the best of the flocks to give an offering to God. And Samuel said, if you obeyed God, why do I hear the bleeding of this sheep in my ear? He said, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. What God wants is a life well lived according to his word. God wants us to live up to his standard, not to make our own. And when we do that, when we obey him, that's better than any sacrifice that you and I could come up with. Job was an upright man. But not only that, in verse 1, it says Job was one that feared God. So we talked about Job's standards. We talked about his character. Now we're talking about Job's attitude, his reverence. He had an attitude of reverence. The word feared, if you study that out, the word feared means to be morally reverent. And when I see that expression, morally reverent, it makes me think, when, when you look at a person... Understand this about them if you want to know where they are spiritually. How do they treat God and the things of God? What's their attitude? What's their attitude about God? What's their attitude about church? What's their attitude about the Bible? What's their attitude about the things of God? Hey, if you can see that, you'll know real quick where their heart is. And God said about Job, here's a man who fears God. He said, here's a man who's morally reverent. He was reverent to the Lord. This was, this was saying a lot about who he was, about his attitude toward God, that he feared God. You know, I wish we had time tonight to go through uh, the book of Psalms, or not, not Psalms, the book of Proverbs, and uh, to talk about the fear of the Lord. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Hey, you know, that's where it all starts. You, if you don't have the fear of the Lord, you, you, don't even, you can't even start with wisdom. Because you can't be wise without God in your mind, in your worldview. If God has no place of priority in your life and among your possessions, then, then your world is out of scope. You cannot be a wise man from, from God's perspective without that. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And as we read the book of Proverbs, here we have Solomon writing some things to his son. And the book of Proverbs was given so that, so that a, a young man even could, could gain wisdom and knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And so it talks about in the first few verses to receive instruction, to give subtlety. A wise man will hear and increase learning to understand a proverb. And then it says in verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. <clears throat> well, it goes on and on, the fear of the Lord, uh, talking about how good that is. The fear of the Lord, what it means to have the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, how, how it's the beginning of wisdom. And here we find Job was a man who already had that. He had the fear of the Lord. And God takes this Kodak moment, this snapshot of his servant Job, and he said, here's a man who fears God. Lastly, I want you to notice in verse 1 about Job, it says that he has shewed evil eschewed evil. Now that's a word we don't use anymore. As a matter of fact, as I say it, it sounds awkward. It feels awkward to even say it. Eschewed. What is that? What is that? Well, if you're a student of the Bible, you're going to look that word up. And I certainly encourage you to do that. And when you study this word, you're going to find out to eschew evil means several things. It means, first of all, to turn it off. 
It means to put away. It means to be without, to deny, in other words. It means, in some cases, I thought this was very strong, to behead. It means to remove. The word remove there means to pluck out by the roots. It's skewed evil. Hey, you know, if you're going to fit the description that God gave about Job, this certainly makes sense. You're not going to be a, a, a man that fits the description of Job. You're not going to be someone who's perfect and upright, feared God without eschewing evil. Right? You, you can't have one, one hand on the Bible and, and the other hand dabbling in sin. You, you're not going to fit the description of Job like that. Job was a man who even God noticed how he got rid, how he eschewed evil. Think about that. He turned it off. You know, that makes me think of the television. Hey, there are times when you just need to turn it off. There are some things on TV that you can't watch as a believer. You shouldn't watch it. Why? Because evil communications corrupt good manners. That's why. And, and because we are affected by the things that we see. And so there are some things that you just should absolutely turn off. There are certain movies that don't illustrate, but they glorify evil. They glorify, they magnify sin. They, they make sin and worldliness look fun. That's not the kind of stuff that we as believers ought to, ought to tune into in our life. Look, your heart's not going to be in tune with God if you're feeding it stuff like that. Job had to realize there are, sometimes, there are some things you just have to turn off. You know, the Internet, sometimes there are things you encounter just can't go there. Just can't do that, right? There are conversations that you have to shut down. You just don't need to talk about that. You have to turn them off, right? When, it, when, when the conversation turns to criticism and gossip and, and uh, those kind of things, to, hey, it's time to turn it off. It's time to put things away. There are things that find their, their way in our life. And sometimes we're reading our Bible or we're sitting in church and and God puts his finger on something that may be present in our life, something we're doing, uh, some way we're behaving. And God says, you need to put that away. Hey, read your Bible. There are people that, that got right with God by putting stuff away out of their life. And the Bible says there are things we should put off and things we should put on. You know, you and I, we need to get familiar with that list. And if we're going to be like Job, we're going to have to learn to get rid of the evil stuff, to put it away. We're going to have to learn to be without sometimes, to deny ourselves in some of those areas. Isn't that what the Bible says a disciple does? Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, let him take up his cross and deny himself and follow me. We have to be willing to deny ourselves some things. I'm talking about evil things. Evil things. There are some things that we need to be willing to behead. I think when I think about beheading, I think about David and Goliath. Boy, not only did David take Goliath down, but he cut his head off. Sometimes uh, taking it down isn't enough. Let's make it so that you can never revisit that. Take, take its head off. There are some things that God said, go kill that. Go kill them. Right? Let's, not eat, let's just wipe out the existence. By the way, I, I referred to that a moment ago. That's what Saul was supposed to do to the Amalekites. 
God said they're evil, they're wicked. He said go and, and totally annihilate them. He didn't do it. There are things that we should behead. There are things that we need to remove. And, and I mean totally remove. He said pluck. The word remove means to pluck out by the roots. It, it's not growing back. You know, sometimes when you and I, when we get rid of a habit because we know it's a bad habit for a Christian to be doing that, that's not good. Let's pluck it up by the roots. Let's make sure that doesn't come back. Amen. Reminds me of Charles Spurgeon. He was a great preacher of yesteryear. And uh, one of the things Charles Spurgeon did was he smoked a cigar. Until one night, he was walking the streets trying to find somebody to witness to, and he saw a poster of himself with a cigar. And he got under conviction. And he said, boy, that's not what a preacher of the gospel should look like. And he quit those. And he plucked it up by the roots. He never went back to that. And when God speaks to your heart, about things in your life and says, hey, we need to get rid of that. You make sure that you pluck it up by the roots. Make sure it doesn't take hold again. Make sure that it doesn't sprout again and come back on you. That's how we become like Job. You know, becoming a man like Job or a woman like Job, that doesn't happen by accident. Job put a lot of work into becoming the kind of believer he was. Job put a lot of effort into being the man that God could recommend. Hey, you considered my servant Job? He said, there's none like him. Well, no wonder. After all the things we've considered tonight, no wonder God said, hey, there's none like him. Tonight, this is how we get there. We've got to work on our values, embracing what the Bible teaches, what's important to God, our setting standards of excellence for ourselves. We've got to work on our character, being upright in heart, having some equity. In other words, going beyond in areas to do our best for the Lord. Fearing God, having that moral reverence, that attitude of respect toward God and the things of God. Upholding what's right and, and having the, the attitude uh, toward those that we should. And then eschewing evil, being willing to get rid of stuff around us get rid of stuff in our life, in our home uh, that doesn't please God. Just turn it off, put it away, be without that, behead it, remove it, pluck it up by the roots. That's what the Bible says about Job. Thinking of all this, no wonder, in verse 5, as his sons and daughters feasted and celebrated, in verse 5 it says, and it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them, a number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. You know, he was doing it for himself and his children. He, he was just worshiping God, offering sacrifices. He was trying to make sure to a T everything was right. In his life. Do we give that kind of effort? That's what it takes to be a man like Job. That's what it takes to have a heart like his. That's what it takes to have a life that God would commend. And certainly God did. In verse 8, the Bible says, The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, 
one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Hmm. Forty-two chapters later, <laughs> the Bible tells us that God blessed the latter end of Job. And if you read all the chapters in between, you'll see how the devil onslaughted Job and bombarded him with every test and trial imaginable, thinking that he could turn Job's heart away from God. I'm glad to tell you it didn't work. Job stayed faithful to God through all that stuff. He just loved God. What made Job do all that? You know, it didn't feel like work to Job to live up to all that. He didn't have a chart on the wall. He wasn't checking boxes. He just loved God. And he just wanted to make sure everything in his life resonated that love. And that was his motivation. That was his fire. That's what kept him going every day. That's what got him through all the stuff, all the trials, all the problems. And the Bible says one day in the end that God blessed him more in the end than he did in the beginning. Twice as much, as a matter of fact, if you go back and count it. Job was a blessed man. Now, I don't know about you. I don't really care for the test God put him through. But, you know, who are we to tell God what to do with his? God used Job. He tested him. But then he blessed him. Amen? And you know, I'm glad to know that Job stood the test. And maybe that's a lesson for us too. If we want to be able to endure the stuff life's going to throw at us, we really need to love God with all we've got. And maybe that's really the substance that holds us together through the storms of life. Maybe really that's what we need to be exercising in all of our decisions and the things that we do daily so that when it's all said and done, you and I will be faithful to Him too. Kind of like Paul wrote to the Ephesians, in the evil day when it comes, the trials and the tests, you know, he talked about putting on the armor of God and he said when it's all over, have, 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 everything being said and done, that we'll still be standing. Well, Let's take a lesson from Job. Let's be a little more like him. Let's love God with all we've got. Amen? I have a feeling God wants to bless that kind of living, that kind of loving. So tonight, let's sign up, and let's be a little more like Job. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, how we love you tonight. How we thank you for this fine example. In the life of a believer, Job... We often think about the trials he endured, but we don't think much about the character of the man, what was woven into the fabric of his heart, his love for you, his strong devotion. Lord, that's what got him through all that. That's what made him a man that, that you could put to the test. You did, and he made it, and we thank you for it. Thank you for all the lessons that we're able to draw from that as well. And Lord, tonight our desire is very simple. We just come asking you to give us that desire to love you more. We want to love you like Job did. That we too might have a heart like his. So help us is our prayer.
In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.